0: Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark and it's a great pleasure to welcome back a writer of war comics, an expert on their history. He's recently brought back Rogue Trooper to New Earth and the Pages of the Prog. It's a book club. Welcome back. Hello to Garth Ennis. Hello, Garth. Hello
1: there, Eamon. It's a pleasure to be back.
0: Uh, it's absolutely absolute mm. delight uh, for you to find time to do this. We had been talking about doing The Sarge by Jerry Finlay-Day and Mike Weston, but we have decided to wait until Volume 2, which we were just talking about. We think is going to be probably 2024 next year, I think.
1: Yeah, I believe so. I think The Sarge, certainly the Finlay-Day Western run, is uh, best considered as a whole.
0: Excellent stuff. So we will get to that, hopefully, uh, on a return visit, um, hopefully next year. So instead, we're sticking with Johnny Red that we talked about last time, but we are jumping in time. Tell us what we're going to be uh, discussing today, Garth.
1: Okay, so today's book is The Flying Gun, which is the fourth volume of the uh, Johnny Red collections uh, published by Titan. Uh, This came out a few years ago, and it sees the beginning of John Cooper's run on the character uh, as regular artist. So still
0: by Tom Tully, I've got in front of me which probably what you have the hardback Titan from 2016. Oh, uh wow. Tom Tully, John Cooper introduction of course by yourself. Oh, wow. Um collect stories that appeared in Battle Picture Weekly 200 to 238
1: from we're in 1979. That's right, yeah. Um, very nearly the whole year's worth. I think it's it's probably about nine, ten months, something like that.
0: And, of course, we know that Dave Hunt was the editor of Battle, and, um, as I say, if I remember correctly, John Lee read debuts in Battle issue 100, mm. and now we've jumped to issue 200, and editors we know have to shake things up from time to time to bring back readers, to keep readers, um, to get new readers. So for issue
1: 200, it was quite a shake-up for battle, wasn't it? It really was. Um, you had the arrival, most obviously, of Charlie's War, uh, which had big implications for Johnny Red because uh, Charlie's War poached Johnny's artist, Joe Calhoun you had the arrival of hms nightshade where the artist on the sarge went over to draw that um and you had a new direction for johnny red um dave hunt the editor knew what he was doing johnny red had been incredibly successful it was the most popular strip in battle it had uh reached uh, i think in, ter- in terms of colquhoun's work something of a high water mark with the uh, stalingrad storyline which um, was an incredible portrayal of uh, the, the suffering and endurance of the, the citizens of Stalingrad during the battle. It introduces the Nina Petrova character. The artwork is simply phenomenal. And now Dave decides he's going to risk everything and put probably his best artist from his best strip on a completely new unknown quantity called Charlie's War. and he's going to replace Joe Calhoun with John Cooper, very different kind of artist. What they have in common is they're both great storytellers and they've both got a very strong sense of character. Hmm. Where they differ is Colquhoun is very much one of these detail kings. Um, He has a very strong uh, traditional illustrative style. Uh, He focuses on uh, all kinds of detail, everything from setting to character to hardware. Cooper is, I hesitate to use the phrase impressionistic, but he does tend to get ideas across with perhaps a more minimal use of his line. Uh, He'll give you a sense of something, a person, an aircraft, a vehicle, a building, and then he'll use the authority of his ink line uh, to, to, to bring it across. So here's this risk Dave Hunt's taking, and what he does is he asks Tom Tully to write what he calls a fake ending, uh, for the previous Johnny Red storyline, Colquhoun's Last, in which the strip doesn't exactly end, but it seems to come to a kind of a thematic conclusion during the Battle of Stalingrad. You get a kind of almost climactic dogfight with, between Johnny's Falcon Squadron and Erich von Jürgen's Eagle Squadron of the Luftwaffe, you get you get a strong sense of things coming to a, an almost catastrophic head, and then it ends. And that is the point at which Johnny Red sort of starts over with its new artist and a new storyline.
0: So I'll ask you about the storyline in just a moment. Um, I'll just say, you know, issue 200 as you say Dave Hunt rolls the dice takes some chances but what an astonishing period for battle with Charlie's War and HMS Nightshade starting in the same issue um and of course Johnny Red going off on this uh, this new mission with a new artist it's astonishing
1: yeah it's uh, it's something pat mills has always said he's always uh, lauded dave for having the editorial guts to take that chance and of course it paid off and you can imagine dave reading Charlie's War and thinking what everyone thought, really, which is, I've never seen anything like this in comics before. I think this has legs. I think it's worth the risk. Yeah. um, Smart. Smart yeah. as hell.
0: And what an astonishing thing that became. So we've done, obviously, we've previously had HMS Nightshade and, of course, the legendary Charlie's War we've done on the podcast. Let's stick then with Johnny Red. Um, and we'll talk about Tom Tully again. Um, mm. Because, has he, as you say, having done this sort of false ending to the Stalingrad uh, story, he decides to send Johnny literally in a new direction, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he he begins uh, with what at first seems like business as usual. Uh, Johnny's in a dogfight over Stalingrad. The Russians are hard pressed. Johnny's in strangely introspective mood. Actually, the the first episode has him shooting down an enemy aircraft, a couple of them actually, and continuing to to pour bullets into one wreck because he's not really thinking about what he's doing. He's thinking about his past. He's thinking about his life. This is presumably how Johnny Redd expresses himself with uh, high-caliber gunfire. But um, what he's thinking about is how many of his friends have died, how many of their, their lives he's been unable to save, what his own life means at this point. And then when he lands after this, this rather curious episode, he finds out, one, that the Falcons have a new commissar, NKVD commissar, attached to them. So the secret police have come calling again. And there's going to be a massive offensive uh, to relieve Stalingrad. And the Falcons are going to be part of it. And then we find after a couple of episodes of that, that in fact that's a red herring. And what's really going to happen is Johnny's been given a new aircraft and a new mission and a chance to wipe the slate clean with the secret police. Uh, the new commissar Rastovich, who I think is the best of all the the nasty commissars who popped up in Johnny Red, is offering him a deal. He has to fly a single aircraft all the way across enemy territory to London, carrying a very special passenger, um, a Soviet diplomat for... Um, Top level talks with his allied o- opposite numbers in the UK, and then he has to fly him back again, and in return, Rastovich will burn the sizeable file he has on Squadron Leader Redburn. So all he's got to do is, all um, well, he's got to do is survive that little ordeal, and uh, the the slate should be wiped clean.
0: And I noticed from your introduction, you you did point out one of the sort of slight problems of the previous formula, which was that the NKVD would not have just put up with him uh, and he's continuing sort of breaking the rules with Falcon Squadron. He would have been um, got rid of before then.
1: Yes, he would have. There were uh, many opportunities for them to just quietly take him behind a wall and shoot him. His survival is put down to the fact that he gets results. Um, he's made Falcon, or he's helped make Falcon Squadron really the premier Russian fighter-bomber unit on the Russian front. Also, of course, there have been a couple of previous commissars who've messed with Johnny, and Tully has simply had circumstances take them out of the way—a um, uh, random artillery shell, uh, I think, at one point, a burst of gunfire not entirely under johnny's control but happening at just the right moment to giving it give him a little while longer uh of course the other the other aspect is that the the falcons commander colonel yaroslav known as yaroslav is is actually bent as a nine bob note and he has all sorts of secrets of his own probably the black market that he doesn't want uh, he doesn't want anyone finding out about so you get a sense that he and Johnny are locked into a sort of mutual pact of survival. Um, you protect me from the NKVD. This is never stated openly, but it's if you join the dots, it's there. Uh, and I'll make you look good by making Falcon Squadron the best there is.
0: And... I mean you, you we won't talk too much about Rogue Trooper, but you know something about taking a formula and without doing too many spoilers, you know having to change it. Tom Tully, as you say, decides to change things, and almost um I was sort of like reminded of as I put in our notes of dread going out on the cursed Earth epic. he gets a new quest, a new
1: mission mhm yeah um no i'm I'm not sure. That the motivation for this would have been quite the same because as far as i know by the time of the cursed earth dread was the most popular strip in the comic anyway you had that luna one story and and so on um with johnny red there is this question how will the readers react to the new artist it's not colquhoun with his super detail and his fantastically rendered aircraft anymore it's someone else it's someone that we know battle readers like from the general dies at dawn, which is one of my favorites, terrific strip and dredger and various others. But this is Johnny red. This is, this is the jewel in the crown. How will people react? And Tully and Dave hunt figure out that they really have to grab the readers by the throat straight away. And that's the purpose of this, as you put it, quest the way I put it in the intro was he's taken off regular operations and sent on an adventure.
0: And on this adventure, of course, he's not going to be in his familiar Hurricane. He's going to be in this flying gun uh, aircraft. I mean, could you mention something about
1: the B-25 Mitchell bomber? Sure. In its regular bomber configuration, it's a, it's a medium bomber, twin engines, f- couple of gun turrets, crew of five or six. If you've ever seen the movie Catch-22 uh, with Alan Arkin and Martin Sheen and others, it features quite strongly in that. Um this configuration of it is a later model. Um, Johnny talks as if the Russians have done this, but in fact, it was an American uh, design uh, from later in the war where they, instead of the plexiglass nose where the bomb aimer sits, uh, they simply have a solid nose with 12 caliber machine guns. Uh, now, this was used in real life against Japanese shipping, um, upon which it had apparently a pretty devastating effect but the idea of using the aircraft in this instance and Johnny nicknames it the flying gun pretty early is that it'll take that much firepower to blast their way through uh, this mission to, to cover the hundreds of miles of enemy territory protect this diplomat, this Andrei Tokayev character and get him safely to London uh, this is of course a complete contrivance there were many diplomatic flights to and from russia and the west throughout the war and uh they simply avoided german territory um which you would think would be the smarter way to do it but tully seizes on this as um as uh, as the opportunity for a, a really high octane adventure and it works a treat hmm.
0: So he's got Johnny Red's got this chance to um, free himself from the threat of the NKVD or die trying in the process. He's got a chance to wipe the slate clean. He's we talked about this in our last episode because Johnny Redburn is a sort of working class hero who ran into Mm -hmm. trouble uh, in the RAF because of his resistance to authority, and Mm -hmm. we we talked a little bit about how well tom tully sort of grasped the issue of this working class brit um Mm -hmm. working with the russians the socialists um the complexities of russian authority and i wondered if the red of the title sort of gets more significance when he goes off on this mission for russia
1: um well i mean everything he's done up till now has been for russia really Uh, And the Red, of course, is exactly that play on words. His name is Johnny Redburn. He's known as Johnny Red. It's interesting that if you look at the very earliest episodes, when he's on the cam ship before he even takes the hurricane and flies to Russia, he's known as Johnny Red. So it's obviously just a nickname. Uh, It gains greater significance later. Um, I find, I think I said this last time, but it, it is interesting that not that Johnny has any kind of, I don't know, left wing or socialist pretensions of his own, but had he done so, had and a number of people who who served in the Allied forces and who did tend to the left during the war had a nasty shock in store when they encountered Soviet forces, and when in some instances they themselves visited Soviet Russia. Um, but again, it's it's the, it's these two dots that Tully never quite join, quite joins our working class hero falls a of the British aristocratic establishment only to find himself in the socialist paradise of Russia where human lives are spent like dimes, like pennies. Um, I don't know that that has any increased significance here for Johnny. Of course, the mission he's on is, uh, although it's of, of great importance to the Russians, uh, for Johnny, of course, it, it, there's slightly different motivation. One is what Rastovich dangled in front of him with the file. I'll burn the file. Uh, the other is, of course, a chance to return to Britain for the first time in uh, almost two years uh, since he. Well, I think about a year and a half. Uh, the country that whose armed forces rejected him, the country where his mother and father haven't seen him in forever. Um, it's there's a touch of the journey of discovery for Johnny. You know what's going on back home, and also at the back of his mind, might I stay when I get there?
0: And I'm I'm going to suggest that this is before Charlie Bourne in Charlie's War returns home uh, to his working class roots in London. And we, you know, without giving too many spoilers away, but obviously he does get back to Britain and he does get to visit his Liverpool roots. Mm-hmm. um and try and find his parents which is you know a very moving and uh, touching sequence in this comic
1: yeah i at the time couldn't recall and i can't recall now any scenes like it in in british comics where we see a character with with a home life i think possibly uh, an old battle strip the bootneck boy might have played with the idea that was the team that went to war where you saw the soccer team before the war. But this is the first time you really saw someone interacting with their family in a very meaningful way. And it is a touching scene actually, because of course Johnny doesn't find his family intact when he gets to Liverpool. Liverpool is being bombed at the time by the Germans. And when he does find his mother in this instance, um, she's in a she's pretty much in a coma. Uh so John, and um it, it's actually what he thinks is going on there that uh, temporarily inspires him to want to stay. Um of course that can't be allowed to to last long, but it is interesting, as you say at the time, Charlie Bourne is yet to, yet to return home. Uh Charlie's getting exchanging letters with his family but we don't actually see them until um in the strip until I think the following year. So I think Johnny Red was was the first to do something quite interesting here.
0: I yes, yeah, so and I you know, I thought Tom Tully handled that very well. It's extremely touching. I mean, obviously we sort of want Johnny Red to get back in the cockpit and fight his way back to um Falcon Squadron in the Flying mm-hmm. Gun. But those those moments in Liverpool where you see Liverpool of course suffering under bombing attacks uh powerful stuff from tully i thought
1: yes and it, it is it is i mean again for the character to, to meet and interact with his mother like this everyone has a mom everyone can relate to that what's interesting of course is as you say this this can't really be allowed to stand uh and pretty soon with the um the device of having johnny wander into um a cinema, Don't know why that's running during a bombing raid, but never mind. Uh, Visiting a cinema and seeing some uh, propaganda newsreels from the Russian front and actually recognising the Falcons in pretty rough shape and understanding where it is he's really needed, uh, that, of course, changes his mind. There's something a bit funny going on here because, of course, Johnny can't have been away from, from the Falcons for more than about a week. If you consider that the flight must have taken what, a day and a half at the most, given that there's a little landing uh, stage of that. And then he's convalesced from the injuries he received. He's been in hospital for about a week. Uh, it's it's a pretty short time for the Falcons to have, you know, degenerated to the point that he thinks they have. But anyway, uh, in terms of how long the strip's been going, of course, we've been battle readers have been, have been, uh, seeing Johnny away from the Falcons for, gosh, several months now. And, of course, so we do get that feeling like, gosh, it's time for Johnny to get back to his real home. He's been away for too long. Uh,
0: fascinating stuff. Let me turn you to the artwork then. Let's talk about John Cooper. Um, mm. As you say, I think he was on the General Dies at dawn before moving to this. Yeah, and you again in your introduction you mentioned that initial surprise of finding that Joe Colhoun has has moved to Charlie's War. You've got a new artist. How well does he sort of like manage the transition and take over as uh, you know doing the art duties on John, on Johnny Red?
1: Um, I think the Flying Gun helps him enormously because when we first see. Uh, Cooper on the Strip, he, I hesitate to say, struggles. But his aircraft in particular, and maybe some of his settings and his detail, perhaps do suffer a little bit by comparison with Colhoun. But, of course, the story does exactly what it's supposed to do. It distracts us. It gives us a new setting and a new aircraft, the flying gun. Uh, It gives us just enough familiarity with the... um, addition of uh old comrades rudy and Jakob to the crew and it gives us uh it gives us this fantastic running battle as the the flying gun blasts its way across uh, german territory um headed across the the baltic and the north sea uh towards britain so when we do come back to russia uh, in the second half of this collection and cooper is handling more familiar territory at that point well, Charlie's War has taken off. Everybody loves it. It's probably vying with Johnny Red for the for the number 1 spot in Battle at the Time. And we've accepted Cooper as the artist and in fact he's been he's now been drawing aircraft uh enough during the the flying gun sequences that he's able to handle business as usual for the Falcons with with no trouble at all and the strip once we arrive back in stalingrad gets gets back to regular business in fine style.
0: how do you find his actual depiction first of all of Johnny himself? because I felt i really like I really enjoyed that, but I felt that this was Johnny as a sort of working class comic book hero almost becoming more rugged uh, and more rough round the edges in John Cooper's depiction of him
1: yes it's it's quite funny actually when when you see the last few Colhoun episodes. Johnny has returned from being shot down in Stalingrad pretty much in rags. His What there was of his uniform has fallen to pieces. And for the last couple of episodes, Colquhoun draws him in pretty much new flying gear. Uh, Cooper ignores that. Maybe he just didn't even see those episodes with the, the, time, the weekly timing of this. And he goes back to a sort of standard uniform for Johnny, the uh, fur-lined jacket with the sleeves cut off the manky old sweater um it is funny when Ch- johnny is constantly accused of wearing a uniform that he has no right to a stolen uniform and when when you look at it it's no kind of a uniform at all it's, it's <laughs> but anyway that's that's just one of those fun things about the strip um i think he handles johnny very well i think he gets the, the he deals very well with the falcons as well yaroslav is a nasty pig Um, Rastovich is suitably sinister but intelligent Um, when the other characters show up like Jakob and Rudy and later I'm delighted to say Nina uh, he handles them all with great aplomb Um, and his aircraft as I say do work Um, I should say at this point that I've flown in a (laughs) B-25 and I've flown in a couple of equivalent fighters to the Hurricane and to the Messerschmitts that the, the flying gun is up against, um, a Spitfire and uh, an American fighter called a P-40. Uh, and I can tell you the, the experience reveals exactly what it says in the strip, which is that the, the B-25 is nowhere near maneuverable enough to dogfight hmm. with single-engine fighters. It it just couldn't be done. So they they get around that with a number of contrivances in the strip um cooper also takes a few liberties with the internals of the b25 um i can tell you that you can't wander up and down it the way Jacob and rudy do when they're they're popping into the cockpit they give johnny a cup of coffee or something but again who cares Um, one other thing I've also fired a 50 caliber machine gun oh blimey (laughs) which is which is a pretty devastating contraption and I can tell you that the thought of 12 of them going off at once would be apocalyptic Mm. so I I think the depictions of what happens to German fighters that get caught in Johnny's sights probably quite accurate
0: and it Mm. it probably again you know with we can allow certain comic flexibility that Johnny Redburn can do things with it that would probably be on, way beyond the specs of the actual aircraft. How does John Cooper handle the actual uh, aerial combat, the sequences, both the depiction of the aircraft and the sort of spatial
1: geography of it all? I think he does that very well. Um, in one of my favourite sequences, actually, after the return to Stalingrad, a couple of rookies who are really under sentence of death if they don't come back having scored a kill uh, overstep themselves a bit and attack a formation of German fighters and, German, and Johnny has to go after them even though they're supposed to be attacking the the cargo aircraft which is the, the object of the Falcon's mission and Cooper manages to get across this quite tricky uh, series of um, manoeuvres and, and this larger picture of an aerial dogfight with great aplomb I think uh, I think he 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 captures it very well. I mean, you're you're quite right. There are in the strip, there are the usual um, contrivances. There are the liberties taken with reality. But for me, it's it's just it's just one of the most interesting things about Johnny Red is is not so much that, but how much the strip gets right and how many things are done properly. And uh, Cooper, of course, is as big a part of that as Tully.
0: And I you know I often find when with comic book action sequences we're thinking about the geography of the action, where the punch is coming from, where the mm. bullets are coming from. here we 've got like three d airborne uh, combat, but I always seemed to know with John Cooper that I could tell what was going on, where the aircraft were at any particular time, where the dangers were coming from. it seemed. Uh, I thought he handled that
1: extremely well I agree. Um- There's one sequence where the flying gun, heavily damaged and escorted by Spitfires, having made it to the UK, is coming into land at uh, a British base during a German bomber raid. So you have a a number of different aircraft. You have the Spits, you have the flying gun, you have these German bombers, and then you have British aircraft all over the airfield, and uh, uh, through which Johnny has to kind of perform this uh, this incredible crash landing, and uh, Cooper takes us through it. No problem at all. At no point are you in any doubt. Um, I can tell you that uh, this this was a tradition in British comics, um, a very strong tradition of storytelling um, that I thought was at its strongest in battle action and 2000 AD. And I can also tell you that coinciding with the arrival of my generation in british comics was a generation of artists who had uh frankly lost that um who had been inspired sadly not by the kind of artists that we're discussing but by a different tradition in comics uh now uh, in a way this just made things worse because the scripts that by that people like myself and mark miller and so on were providing uh, weren't exactly worthy of great art but it did make a bad situation worse because you had people who uh, I think were inspired more by Bill Sienkiewicz and Simon Bisley and had learned all the wrong lessons from those guys. It would have been better, I think, for them to hang on to the traditions of Calhoun and Cooper and Western and Bradbury and all the rest of them. But that's a sidebar.
0: Okay. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. Um, I'll say that it's mostly black and white art. Occasionally, uh, Johnny Red obviously got the colour centre spread, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's uh, right. So We get some colour centre spreads, at uh, double-page spreads dotted through the book. Um, mm-hmm. As ever, strips would compete for that. Um, the Titan books, they're lovely hardbacks. Uh, I'm going to say that I suspect Rebellion's reproduction technology has moved on a little bit since they reproduced from the comic pages for this. Um, at times, some of the scans are slightly uh, squiffy, shall we say. But on the whole, I mean, it's a beautifully produced volume, isn't it?
1: It is, it is. And I, I very much hope that, uh, that Rebellion will be able to uh, bring that technology to bear on Johnny Red before much longer, because, of course, this is as far as Titan got. You know, it's funny when you talk about uh, the Titan uh, books efforts on on the battle material, because there's a strange dichotomy there. On the one hand, it was great that someone was doing it at all. No one else was. Hmm. Uh, We have Nick Landau to thank for the uh, the uncensored Darkies mob volume. Uh, that appeared about 10 years ago. Um, No one else was in any hurry to do that. And in fact, Nick's um, people at Titan were telling him he shouldn't do it or if he did it, it should go out censored. And Nick insisted that it went out in the form it did. So we have him to thank for that. On the other hand, the schedule was extremely erratic. Everything seemed to take forever. And then when they did get around to doing the book, sometimes they would try and rush them. And it's interesting you you, you bring up the flying gun in this instance because uh, editor Steve White uh, told me that he saw this book about to go to press in a pretty deplorable condition, and he stopped it then and there. And what you see now rough around the edges though it may be is at least legible Mm. Uh, does i think do the story as proud as could have been done at that time um steve saved the thing from going out in in an up in an absolutely wretched state so we have him to thank for that and we have nick to thank for the existence of these things in the first place
0: yeah and you know again We've talked many a time on this podcast about Titan collections and what wonders they've done over the years. So, yeah, it is nice that we've got four hardback volumes of Johnny Red from them. Um, I just hope, as you say, that Rebellion will get to them at some point and we'll start to see what their uh, AI technology and scanning can do. Mm -hmm. Before I ask you to pick some Grail pages from John Cooper's art, um, any other particular episodes or incidents or appearances of characters from this volume that you wanted to pickly uh, pick out for us?
1: Well, I suppose um, I suppose I should highlight uh, the return of Nina Petrova to the strip. She's maybe just just about my favourite character in Johnny Red after Johnny himself. Uh, and it was great to see her back, especially in in the uh, under the circumstances in which she returned, where she saves Johnny's hide at just the right moment. Um, the f- The fact that uh, Tully was able to include uh, Nina and her Angels of Death, which are really just a fictionalized version of the real life night witches, um, I think he did a real service to the historical record there by introducing an audience of uh young british boys to uh to these real life characters of russian women who helped fight the nazis and who were uh who who fought uh, against the germans in the line uh in gosh all kinds of roles not just not just as air crew but as tank crew snipers medics you name it um you know that's where i fir- first found out about uh about these women and it's it's um It it forms, you know, to this day, a big part of my own work. So it's great to see Nina coming back. It's also interesting to see that Johnny's bargain with Rastovich about getting rid of the file and so on doesn't really work out the way he'd hoped. Um, Rastovich passes out of the strip at one point, but that particular Faustian bargain hasn't really worked out. And Johnny... Johnny ends the volume more or less back to square one. Hmm. Um, the only other thing I would point out is that the, the very last story in the the collection involves the return of Eric von Jürgen, who we, uh, who we last saw shot down over Stalingrad and descending on his parachute. And we see him here in a Soviet gulag, um, he escapes from it, but he's clearly having a bad time. He's been reduced to pretty much zombie-like uh, status uh, through their brutality, their cruelty, and it's interesting that a couple of years later, when von Jürgen returned in the strip, he wasn't the sort of fairly decent, semi chivalrous figure that we'd we'd known up to that point. Um, he, he was a he was as much a ruthless killing machine um as any other villain Johnny ran across. Uh now Tully never made the point that it was probably the gulag experience that turned him that way, but we can extrapolate and assume that this this story uh illustrates effectively the fall of Eric von Jurgen. I should one final point. I should say that there's a great deal of stuff in this book that I hope to revisit one day in my own Johnny Red work. And um Tie up a few loose ends, von Jurgen would be one, Johnny's family back in Britain would be another, but crossing my fingers and hoping for the best that I do get to do that one day.
0: That's something for us to look forward to, Garth. Uh, I hope you get to tell those stories uh, I do as you say, I love the the sudden reappearance, the sort of dramatic reappearance of Nina, uh, who always refers to Johnny as the red devil. Um, Mm. Is fantastic and the way they treat the von jürgen character uh in the uh, you know this final story is fascinating um really again sort of touching on the whole war is hell and you know introducing us to what we would then have called i guess shell shock as opposed to ptsd but yeah fascinating stuff our listeners, of course, can't see the video call we've got at the moment that, once again, you are surrounded by some of your original art collection on the walls. Mm-hmm. Let's give you some more virtual art to collect and offer you the pages from this volume if they uh, still existed and we could afford them. Um, any particular favourites to pick out for us?
1: Um, well, it's, it's hard to say uh, in that I actually have just about my favourite page from this volume on the wall behind me i think you mentioned
0: this last time yes yeah
1: it's the one i talked about before where uh johnny goes after these two rookies as they attack uh a flight of messerschmitts bad decision as it turns out but if i was allowed a bit more i guess i would probably take the uh if you look at the episode where indeed johnny is um Johnny has taken off during a, a German raid and is engaging uh, the uh, engaging the German attackers. And afterwards, uh, he lands and find out that the the pilot that helped him take off that that destroyed the aircraft that was trying to destroy him is indeed Nina Petrova. And I really like the scene where all her pilots, all these other women who are presumably replacements because they're talking about at last we meet the famous red devil and her squadron would have met Johnny before Um, are all gathered around Johnny saying things like perhaps you also fly with me as an observer pause one night and stuff like this. And Johnny's a bit tongue tied. So Nina basically gives her whole squadron a bollocking and sends them running with a flea in their ear. Um, As Jacob points out, I would not like to be the girl who comes between her and the red devil this is something else you didn't see much in British comics at the time, it's not British boys comics. Uh, and for me, it's a real treat. So I would probably take that page. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I will post an image of that page, uh, after this episode comes
0: out on all the socials so people can see what we've been talking about and have a look at John Cooper's depiction of Johnny red and the, uh, uh, Nina Petrova and her angels of death. Um, and also i'll probably link again to that image that you shared last time of the page uh, that you own from this volume fantastic stuff well i'll say that johnny red the flying gun which is volume four of the titan hardbacks is still available um for about 19 pounds although you can probably find it for less uh still seems to be in print so it's out there but we do hope that at some point in the future we'll have Rebellion volumes to look at as well as they continue their sort of uh, work through all the Treasury of British Comics. Fantastic stuff, Garth. Thanks for coming back on the podcast and talking about it.
1: Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. As you know, I love this stuff and a uh, slightly selfish aspect of my agenda because I don't, I don't just want to see the stuff reprinted. I want to keep writing the character too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you mentioned in your introduction that sadly this last volume, this volume came out after John Cooper had passed away, mm. um, which is tragic. But we also wanted to just note the passing of, of course, another artistic legend, Kevin O'Neill, um, mm. because you managed to sort of lure him out of semi-retirement for his last work, on, certainly on British comics. How was it working with him on... Um, Kids Rule OK, and then bringing back Bonjo from Beyond the Stars?
1: Well, it was terrific, actually. Um, I mean, in in professional terms, he was flawless, which is what you would expect. Uh, You actually have uh, Rebellion editor Oliver Pickles to thank for that, because when I uh, wrote the Kids Rule OK strip for the battle action special, I had no idea who was going to draw it. I had the idea for it. But it was so peculiar that I couldn't really think of an artist, and we we talked about various people. I think even Mick McMahon's name came up at one point, and then uh, I think it was Oliver said, "Well, what about Kevin O'Neill?" Uh, and we'd all, of course, there was this idea going around at the time that he he retired. Um, he hadn't, of course. It was just that Alan Moore had had talked about retiring from comics, and I think because he and Kevin had been working together. Uh, on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, people assumed Kevin was too. Not true. Um, so he was perfectly happy to do it. I think he was uh I think he was quite tickled at the thought of illustrating a sort of fictional IPC or Fleetway office encounter, which of course that weird little story delivers. Um the funny thing there, of course, is that. Um, Kevin would have been in those discussions, the ones I heavily fictionalised Uh, and so I think there was a good deal of resonance for him there As for Bonjo, yeah, that that one he really leapt at because he as he said in an email to me, he had no idea there was this much love for old Bonj uh, which I think was his first ongoing strip for 2000 AD Before that he'd certainly done um he'd certainly done future shocks and Mm. things and covers, but that was his first ongoing strip, albeit quite a small one. Um, And I think he did have a degree of affection for the character. I, I got, uh, I had a couple of emails from him that ended by the cringe, which was this weird kind of blasphemy. I think that he'd, uh, that, that he'd created for Bonjo, um, which of course I tried to get into the strip. But of course, he did he did an absolutely fantastic job. It was it was a delight uh, to work with him. And of course, that's a bittersweet memory because um, uh, I'd known that he'd been unwell, but I would no idea that it was as extreme as it turned out to be. Uh, And we were even talking about doing more stuff together, you know, maybe longer stories. But of course, fate intervened in the in the worst possible way. That That is the sad thing about things like this. You know, as these legends start to pass, um, you, you mentioned uh, John Cooper, of course. He, at the time we were putting the Flying Gun book together, was the, really the last survivor of the original Johnny Red strip because I think Tom Tully had died years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Calhoun back in the 80s. Carlos Pino is still alive, of course, but he... Really only came in at the very end of Johnny Red in the mid eighties, so for the classic period, John was the last survivor, and he knew there was going to be a book. I'm sad he didn't get to see it. I'm mm-hmm. sad he didn't get to see the new mini series that Keith Burns and I did. It would have been nice for these guys to have known that I suppose someone cared enough about their legacy to want to preserve it and to want to build on it, but not to be, alas. Hmm.
0: Very sad. So, we'll again, we'll note the sad passing of Kev O'Neill. And as you say, it's fascinating to think that, of course, Kev, as the art bodger at the time, would have been in those IPC meetings. <laughs>
1: yeah. And in fact, I think um, uh, he he mentioned that this is probably quite well known, but that uh, before 2000 AD, Prog One went to press, he and Kelvin Gosnell were frantically bodging the art. Uh, at a sort of last minute instruction from IPC management about what you could and couldn't show probably uh, the most obvious one of course is Bill Savage shooting the guy in the back, mm. like that had to come out
0: Well let's turn to stuff that's coming out in the future in fact coming out or starting to come out a couple of weeks after this episode drops at the end of May, last mm. year you did the Battle Action hardback special incredibly successful, incredibly good this year, you've got a five-issue mini series, I think you called it.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, I can give you the uh, the rundown here. Issue one, HMS Nightshade by John Wagner and Dan Cornwall. Uh, Johnny Red by me and Keith Burns. Issue two, Crazy Keller, me and Chris Burnham. D-Day Dawson, Dan Abnett and Phil Winslade. Issue 3 Dredger by myself and John Higgins, Major Easy by Rob Williams and Henry Flint, Issue 4 Cooley's Gone Me and Stars Johnson Death Squad Rob Williams and PJ Holden, Issue 5 Hellman by me and Mike Dory again and Nina Petrova and the Angels of Death written by Torin Grunbeck and drawn by Patrick Goddard again. So that's this year's lineup.
0: Fantastic. What a what a lineup of writers and artists you've got. Um, the first one, I believe, lands on May the thirty first, and you're going to be at the Enniskillen Comic Fest first weekend of June as a sort of launch event for it, I believe.
1: Yes, I believe. Uh, I believe that's the plan. Um, we we launched the Battle Action Special last year, uh, first at Gosh and then a week later at uh, at Enniskillen, um, and it went tremendously well. I mean, the the book went over well in. in just the way it was supposed to and of course now we have now we have this second series uh I'm I'm of course crossing my fingers for more but um yeah it's it's it, we've been talking about Johnny Red there there is another short by myself and Keith uh I mean I think he's a, a more than worthy successor to to Joe and John and the fantastic work they did on Johnny Red. Uh, I got his inked pages in the other day. They're being coloured right now. Of course, they look gorgeous.
0: Fantastic news! So do get behind this year's Battle Action uh, mini series, and of course, if you can get to the Enniskilling Comic Fest. Uh, for the launch, of course, to Comic Fest, organized by our mutual friend Paul Trimble, who put oh, us well. in touch as ever. And thanks again to Paul for that. And I'm uh, hoping to be there. So I look forward to seeing you.
1: Yeah, you too. Um, I think it'll be quite well attended by the creative team. I think John Wagner and Rob Williams are also coming, and also Keith Burns and Mike Dory, Paddy Goddard, uh, Stas Johnson will be there, uh, PJ Holden. And um, yeah, I believe. Uh, have I missed someone? Dan Cornwell. Dan Cornwell, yes. So that's um, that's that's a majority of the writers and artists on the on the book. Uh, so we will see you there. Fantastic stuff. See you there. So
0: thanks again to you, Garth, for coming back on the book club to talk about some more Johnny Red, and we look forward to doing uh, the Sarge.
1: Yes, indeed. I will see you for the Sarge. Cheers.
0: And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the links, including links to the Enniskilling Comic Fest at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, and the E forums, or email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you've got any comments or questions or a book of your own that you want to come and talk about. So until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and... Goodbye from me.
1: Cheers. (laughs) We'll <laughs> be